0: from the Jersey Shore. You may be familiar with some of my work on the wayin in a boxing website. I'm also the co-author of the upcoming boxing book on the history of Atlantic City, Boxing in Atlantic City. My co-author is also on the panel today, uh, John DeSanto. Uh, he's the first person I'd like to introduce. Uh, John DeSanto is the founder of phillyboxinghistory.com, the Briscoe Awards, and he's also the chairman of the Pennsylvania Boxing Hall of Fame. We also have Dave Weinberg. He's a longtime boxing journalist who served as the primary boxing writer for the press of Atlantic City for over 30 years. Over the years, he has won numerous awards for his outstanding coverage of the sport from the Boxing Writers Association of America. He is a member of both the New Jersey Boxing Hall of Fame and the Atlantic City Boxing Hall of Fame. We also have Mr. Dave Fontempo, He's a journalist and broadcaster. He works for the Press of Atlantic City, ESPN, HBO's International Division, Showtime, Madison Square Garden, and many other syndicated outlets throughout the years. He's a recipient of the Sam Taub Award for Excellence in Broadcasting from the Boxing, Assist- Boxing Writers Association of America. He is also a member of the New Jersey Boxing Hall Fame and the Atlantic City Boxing Hall Fame. We also have Eric Belcher, a uh, very well known matchmaker, who's worked for a number of promotions over the years. Uh, Eric's really been on the front lines of some of these big fights that we've seen. Uh, he's a member of the Florida Boxing Hall Fame. The next member of the panel really needs no introduction in this area. J. Russell Peltz is a boxing promoter from Philadelphia. Peltz promoted his first boxing match at the, on September 30th, 1969, at the age of 22 years old. The card was held at the legendary Blue Horizon in Philadelphia and featured the iconic Philadelphia middleweight, Benny
1: Briscoe. Since
0: then, Peltz has promoted hundreds of fights which featured boxing hall of famers such as Jeff Chandler, Matthew Saad Muhammad, George Benton, and marvelous Marvin Hagler. He was inducted into the International Boxing Hall of Fame in Kansas New York in 2004. Gentlemen, welcome. So the first question I'd like to pose to the panel is, this year's class of the Atlantic City Boxing Hall of Fame consists of a number of notable fighters and members of boxing's so-called supporting cast. Going along the panel, please share with us one memorable story about or an encounter with one of this year's inductees. We'll start with uh, Russell. Hi.
1: Hello. Uh, does Tony Thornton count? No, seriously. Thanks, this year. Okay, I'll tell you a personal story about Tony Thornton. It's in my book. Um, Tony Thornton was a terrific fighter, but he was a better person. And after... He had lost his second world title challenge to James Tony in 1993. He took off for a year, and I never believed in pushing a fighter back into the gym. And he called me in the summer of 1994 and told me the two Philadelphia lawyers wanted to sign him to a management contract because I had no juice left. That was their term. So I said to Tony. I said, ask them for 5000 for yourself, I don't want anything, because we never had a contract between us, just our handshake. I said, you get 5000 from them, I'll walk away. So he called me a week later, and he said they wouldn't pay him 5000 So I said, ask them for $2,500, and I'll walk away. So he called me back a week later, he said they won't give me 2500 I said, okay. I put him in a fight a few months later at the Blue Horizon against a guy named Lindsey Morgan from Morgantown, West Virginia, who had a record of 12-12. And, and Tony was terrible, and he got a decision that I'm not sure he deserved. So I brought him back a month later, and in those days we were selling out every single show at the Blue Horizon. And the fans started calling me and saying, why do we have to watch Tony Thornton again? Anyway, Tony Thornton fought a kid out of Long Island named Darren Center for the vacant USBA title. And he looked sensational. He knocked Center out in the second round, and within a few months he became the mandatory challenger for Roy Jones, for which he got his biggest payday, which was a quarter of a million dollars. He went into the fight with a bad hand, but who wasn't gonna beat Roy Jones anyway? But when it was all over, he retired, I thought about those two Philadelphia lawyers who wouldn't pay him 2,500 for his contract. I think they missed (laughs) out. John DeSanto? Still had your juice.
2: Well, (laughs) I would say, I'll tell a story about Felix Trinidad, and it's not that I've met him, I've met him, you know, different things, but he was always one of my favorite fighters, but, you know, he fought Cameron Hopkins, he fought David Reed, so I always had a conflict, I'm rooting for those guys, but I loved Trinidad as well, but I went out to Las Vegas when um, he fought David Reed, and one of the cool things about going to Vegas was you can bet on the fights. So now that doesn't mean anything now, because you can do it from your, your living room. But then you go to the Caesars Palace and they have a big board with, you know, the odds, but then the odds on each of the rounds. And I thought, I'm going to bet on this. I had struck gold on the second Oscar that Nicoya and Chavez fight. I actually want to bet. So I was really psyched up. And I looked at the board and I said, Trinidad's going to win this fight. But he always, almost always gets knocked down early. So maybe the chances are David Reed early and Trinidad late. So I looked at the things and I bet. I put a bet on David Reed in the third round. The odds were nice, probably twenty to one or something like that. And I put a bet on Felix Trinidad to. Trinidad to win in the eleventh round. So I'm watching the fight. Third round comes, boom! Trinidad goes down. Oh my God! You know I love Trinidad, but stay down. And then yeah, he got up. And then they fought on, and you know he started to take over the fight. In round eleven. He dropped three, three times. Like, i love not there but I'm like, stay that. But um, he got up and it went to the decision. But um, so it was a super exciting thing that you know I only experienced when I would go to Las Vegas for fights. So um, a lot of great nominees are inductees this year, but that's my sort of opinion. Okay, I. Can you hear me? Oh,
3: change mics. Thank you very much. Uh, Great to see everybody and I love to see how the Hall of Fame is growing year by year. And a personal story that touches, when when I think of the birth of Atlantic City Boxing and someone like a Simon Brown uh, coming up into Atlantic City at the Tropicana and what that meant at that time to have people like this come up to see fighters on their way up, fighting at the Tropicana week by week, fighting in Atlantic City when Atlantic City revolutionized boxing and became the boxing capital of the world, challenging Las Vegas. There's something wonderful about the birth of something and an era that you see at the very start. And uh, these guys, Simon and Many fighters coming through Atlantic City at that time were part of what has led us to today because of what Atlantic City has meant in the world of boxing. So between the boxing of the Tropicana, between networks being here and way over 100 fights at Atlantic City in 1982, there were different tenets of that. And the Tropicana, aspect was one of them and the philadelphia fighters brought by russell Peltz was another one that we could come and see these fighters (laughs) compete here so it's a tapestry of memories started by the people at the tropicana that made us realize we were on to something special and that was the early 1980s and i will just never forget the excitement of being able to go to three fights a week in Atlantic City and know that everybody in the business is crisscrossing. So I would say that uh, that's a personal memory and uh, I'm grateful to have seen it on the way up to what later led uh, to a television career, but there was nothing that ever compares with the birth of boxing in Atlantic City and uh, these nominees
4: being part of it. Weinberg. Hello, everyone. Thanks for uh, stopping by. I don't know if he's in the class of 2020 or 21, but um, Kelly Pavlik's uh, arrival in the Linux really stood out for me. Um, When he uh, fought Jermaine Taylor for the the world title for the first time here, um, no one really gave him a shot. Uh, I remember going to uh, some people and thinking that this was kind of a uh, uh, a gross mismatch. Um, even though Kelly had an outstanding record, Jermaine had never been beaten. Had just had beaten uh, Bernard Hopkins, and oh, uh, he's standing over there. Um, and uh, it was uh, one of the most thrilling fights I had ever seen. Kelly um, uh, was in real trouble in the first round. Um, Jermaine was just unloading on him, and uh, the crowd was wondering if it's going to be like another, you know, first round stoppage. Uh, to his credit, referee Steve Smover. Uh, also from the area and a member of the Hall of Fame uh, kind of knew what Kelly's background was like and um, that you know he'd be able to, to rally so he let the fight continue. Kelly went on the, the, to stop Jermaine's uh, run I believe, with the more title. But more, more importantly, um, just the fact that uh, where Kelly came from and, and the backing that he had in Youngstown, Ohio, I took a couple trips out there, just to see, um, to, to visit with Kelly and the fans, and just um, the support he had. we um, saw busloads of people coming in with the uh, Ghost T-shirts on, them, which is his nickname, and uh, it was just a fantastic experience. I mean, he had some down in Atlantic City as well, but I uh, uh, always remember like all the experiences as a as a fantastic time for boxing in Atlantic City. Eric Bodger. Okay.
5: Hello, for those who are listening, uh, yeah. the, Russell told a quick story about Tony Thornton, but I know he being in the business of the thing, taking that $2500, he never would have fought for a job. that's for sure. Uh, uh, Mark Abrams is a publicist, is being inducted, and I met Mark in Las Vegas at a bar, uh, where I, back in the day I was there. A, Crazy, right? and he asked me so many questions um, uh, that were uh, not annoying, and uh, I tease Mark all the time. I tease him way too much, but I, I remember that because he asked a lot of very insightful questions, and besides the fact that if you go to a show in Atlanta City or Philadelphia today, more often than not Mark's work for the show, Besides that fact, what, you, what I took from that is like, everyone up here, myself included, is like Mark, in that we're fans, you know, almost first. I mean, this is a business for us, we make our living in it, but, you know, what we all have in common is that we're fans, like you guys. So, it's, you know, I have nothing to do with this. Professional level. I'm here as a fan, and I, uh, I'm enjoying this. I hope everyone else enjoys it too. Because what Ray and his people do here is uh, very neat, and it's not easy to do. So, if you know Ray, you should go up to him this weekend at some point thank him, because uh, uh, this, this is really hard, and you can tell. That's it. Thank you. Thank you,
0: so, looking out across the room, and the poster for the 1963 World Fiddleweight title fight between Philadelphia's Joey Giardallo and Dick Tizer Sticks out this is the first world title fight that was being stayed in the city. For panel members, please tell us what your most memorable world title fight was and how uh, you send you a certain person
2: one that really comes to mind is in '89, Roberto Duran grand Grand Barck, and you know, I was a big Duran fan, I also a Barclay. But I was really worried about that fight because Roberto Duran got a photo with he you. Yeah. Ram Barck was like, you know, yes, not down some turns, and yeah, he was leaving. And um, I was living in England at the Do time, and I, I came back home for the trip, flying around that place. For